0: Okay, we're continuing together our study in um, uh, chapter 30 of our Confession of Faith, which deals with the subject of the Lord's Supper. And recently we have been dealing with uh, paragraphs 3 and 4. Last time we looked at paragraph 3, today we'll look at paragraph 4 briefly, and then we'll move on from there. But paragraph 3 and 4 deals with the procedure for the observation of the Lord's Supper, the procedure for the observation of the Lord's Supper. Now, last time we talked about the proper procedure for the observation of the Lord's Supper. And we saw that there should be uh, four parts, if you will, of that proper procedure. There should be the consecration of the elements, the bread and the wine, which involves marking them out and setting them apart for the extraordinary use of being symbols of the body and blood of the Lord Jesus, and the way we set them apart and mark them out or consecrate them to that end is by prayer uh, and by direct statement. And you remember, Jesus prayed and gave thanks and blessed the elements, and then he said, direct statement: This is my body, this is my blood, etc. Okay, so he prayed and he made direct statements. Um in which he um, set these things or consecrated them, uh, set them apart for their unique uh, significance, symbolic significance that they had. And so by this consecration of the elements, this marking them out and setting them apart for the extraordinary use of being symbols of the body and blood of Jesus by prayer and direct statement, we are enabled to know what we're doing and why we are doing it. And then there's the distribution of the elements. And um, this involves the breaking and the distribution of the bread and uh, the distribution of the cup. And um, then there's the consumption of the elements. And we saw that when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, all of them partook. There was not any of them who didn't. Uh, We saw that they all partook of both elements. It's not that um, Jesus had the bread and the wine and they just had the bread. Uh, as is practiced in the Roman Catholic Church. They all partook of both elements corporately. This is not an individual thing that you go off and do by yourself. It was done in the context of the gathered church. And uh, they all partook of each element separately. They had the bread first, took that, and then they were given the wine, and they took that. And so they're not to be mixed together um, I think I mentioned in Greek Orthodox Church, they take the, 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 the wafer, the, the piece of bread, and they dip it in the wine and then they serve it to the communicant. And uh, that's contrary to the, uh, to the pattern that was set forth there um, in, in the distinction of the elements and in the distinct and separate eating of the elements. And then the fourth thing that happened was they concluded with a hymn. That is, they engaged in an act of praise to God uh, in hymn singing. And so these things then are what guide our celebration and observation of the Lord's Supper. So we read in paragraph three of our confession, the Lord Jesus has in this ordinance appointed his ministers to pray and bless the elements of bread and wine, and thereby to set them apart from a common to a holy use, and to take and break the bread, to take the cup, And they communicating also themselves to give both the bread and the cup to the communicants. Um, And so um, what they say in our confession is exactly the procedure that our Lord Jesus followed. And, of course, was also declared in other passages of scripture as well. Now, having seen then last week, the proper observation of the Lord's Supper in paragraph three, we now see the perverted observation of the Lord's Supper in paragraph four. And I mentioned right at the end of our session last time that this is once again, a polemic against uh, Roman Catholicism, which represented in that day, the primary perversion of the Lord's Supper and still does to this day. Nothing's changed folks nothing has changed. All the polemical statements that are made in our confession against the perversion of the Roman Catholic mass still stand. They still do it the way they ever did. And um, all of these things are still uh, valid objections. So, um, paragraph four then refers to the Roman Catholic perversions that are practiced in their communion service known as the mass. So paragraph four says, the denial of the cup to the people Worshiping the elements, the lifting them up or carrying them about for adoration and reserving them for any pretended religious use are all contrary to the nature of this ordinance and to the institution of Christ. Now, having been a Roman Catholic myself and having seen hundreds of masses and participated in hundreds of them, this is exactly what they do. I mean, what's described in paragraph four is exactly what happens. Now, I do have to confess I've been in Roman Catholic church for uh, about uh, 20 years now. And so, uh, but I don't think I haven't heard that anything's changed from the way it always used to be. So there's two things here that are addressed in paragraph four, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on them, but we do need to identify them. The first is the denial of the cup to the people. In Roman Catholic, Uh, Mass: the people are given the wafer or the host, they call it the piece of bread, uh, but they're not given the cup. There's no drinking of of the wine at all on the part of the people. Uh, There may be a few rogue priests that do that, but it is not customary at all. And in 99% of the churches, it's just simply not done. And so let's look at some passages uh, that would indicate that this is inappropriate to withhold one of the elements from uh, the people of God. Let's look first of all at Matthew 26, 27, and we'll see the initial um, inauguration of the practice. And uh, we looked at this passage many times. We'll look at it many times again because there's lots of facets of truth. Matthew 26 And verse 27, um, it says, and he, that is Jesus, took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, all of you drink of it. Or in the King James, it says, drink ye all of it. And he's not talking about drinking it to the dregs. He's saying, all of you drink of it is the idea. Okay. So he specifically said, not some of you, not one or two of you, all of you drink of it. Drink ye all. Of it. And so they were all to drink of it. All right. Then in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we see once again that Paul's expectation when he wrote to the church at Corinth is that they would all be not only eating the bread, but also drinking the wine. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 16. 1 Corinthians 10.16, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? And the bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? So once again, two elements Uh, were being used in the communion service, the bread and the wine. Now notice he talks about the bread, verse 17, for we being many are one bread and one body for we are all partakers of that one bread. So there's the consumption of the bread on the part of the people. Well, where's the wine? Well, the answer is down in verse 21. He says in verse 21, You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. So clearly, if they're drinking the cup of the Lord, the laity, that is the congregation at Corinth, were all partaking of the cup as well. Now, if you go to chapter 11 and verse 27 and 28 and 29, he says, speaking to the congregation, verse 26, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. So he expected them not just to eat the bread, but to drink the cup too, right? Verse 26, verse 27, whosoever therefore... Uh, or he says, wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So obviously they're all eating the cup and uh, pardon me, eating the bread and drinking the cup. Verse 28, let a man examine himself. So let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Verse 29, for he eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself. So clearly everybody's eating and everybody's drinking. And there is absolutely no basis whatever to forbid the cup to the laity. Um, and yet they do it. Uh, and uh, the, um, the justification for it is, well, if you eat the body, you're getting the blood anyway because the blood is in the body, so what do you need with the cup? But what it is, it's an effort to create a, uh, a, uh, a distinction between the clergy and the laity. We clergy are more holy than you, laity, and so we can partake of the blood. You can't. Right. Because we're um, elevated above you and we are more important than you. And therefore um, it will cause you to see us as being above you. And I, and and that's really what it's about. Okay. That's the the thinking um, among uh, Roman Catholic priests and and the church as well. So there is this denial of the cup to the people. They do it to this day and it's dead wrong. Okay. The second thing that's mentioned in our confession, any questions about that? Okay. If you ever have a question while I'm talking, just pop your hand up. You don't have to wait till I ask for questions, okay? Um, we'll receive them at any time. Okay. The second thing that they talk about here is the worshiping of the elements. And then they list several ways in which they're worshiped. They're lifted up, they're carried about for adoration, and they're reserved for pretended religious use. Now. What is behind this worshiping of the elements is the doctrine of transubstantiation, which we're going to get into shortly. Uh, In fact, it's mentioned in paragraphs five and six, which is where the whole doctrine of transubstantiation is dealt with. Um, But because they believe that the bread and the wine are literally turned into the body and blood of Christ to hold those things up. And for people to worship those objects to them is you're actually worshiping Christ. I mean, if Jesus himself in flesh and blood walked into this room, would you fall down and worship him? You would. I would. We should. people did in in Christ's day and and, uh, he affirmed all that. Okay. What they're saying is that Jesus is literally, physically body and blood and soul present um, in the form of the wafer and the wine. And so therefore to worship them is to worship him because those things are him. They're not symbols of him. They are him. And so the priest, every time he goes through his mumbo jumbo conjures Christ in front of you. And there he is. Worship him. And so, um, (laughs) They used to have, and uh, I think they still do, um, these little uh, temple-looking things uh, on the altar. And if they had a few extra wafers, since that's the body of Christ, the priest would always drink all the wine. But you know, the wafers and leavened bread, and it's not quite as uh, as palatable. And they would stick it in this little sacrist- sacristy thing, which was a it looked like a little miniature um, Old Testament Jewish temple thing. And uh, the body of Christ could stay in this little holy uh, place, had a little set of curtains, and you'd open the curtains and set the chalice in there and close the curtains, and it was just shaped like a little doghouse, you know. And uh, anyway, it was cute, and it was impressive, this gold roof and all this. And uh, anyway, they, they put it in there, they, they reserve it for religious use later, because once you have turned this thing into the body of Christ, it can't ever go back to being ordinary bread. And and, I mean, you laugh at this, and rightly so, it is laughable, okay? I laugh at it too, and I'm not criticizing that, but I'm saying these people take this stuff seriously, okay? They really believe it. And so um, uh, let's look at two passages uh, that rebut this in principle, not in specific. But the first is in Exodus chapter 20, the book of Exodus chapter 20. Well, you know, Roy, when I was growing up, it was all in Latin, okay? And they just switched to an English Mass about the time I got out of the church. And um, what they do is they take the host and they say, you know, this is my body, which is broken for you. And they elevate it. And I mean, they literally hold it up like this. And, And when they make that movement, that movement right there is when it changes from the uh, bread to the literal body of Christ and he does the same thing with the cup. Um, He says something to the effect that this is the blood of Christ and then he holds it up. And it's it's in that act of elevation, when it goes up it's wine and when it comes down it's the blood of Christ. In the same way with the host, when it goes up it's bread and when it comes down it's the body of Christ. And once that act is done um, in which um, and, and I can't repeat the exact words he uses, but he says something about, behold, the body of Christ, behold, the blood, something like that. Um, it seems like this whole thing with parallel witchcraft where we're drumming up the old spirits. Or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's almost like you say these these this incantation or this spell or these magic words and suddenly this thing becomes something else. So, yeah, it's it's very similar to to that. And um, w- when we go through paragraphs five and six, um, I think you'll be kind of blown away um, to see the ludicrousness of that whole doctrine and the actual um, indefensibility. I mean, the, the total indefensibility of, of the doctrine. I mean, it, it becomes really ludicrous. I have ten reasons why transubstantiation can't be true. And uh, we'll go through them. Obviously, we're not going to get through them today. Um, Exodus 20, we have the Ten Commandments, right? And in the second commandment, in verses 4 and 5, it says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments so that's the second commandment and basically I mean there's a lot there but at its most fundamental level what God is saying is don't make any material object an object of worship and by worshiping it worship me right so if it's in the, if it's in the heavens above like stars or moon or sun or if it's in the earth, um, any kind of animal or object. If it's under the earth, any fish or anything in the sea, um, any diamond you might mine out of the ground, whatever it is, I don't care what sphere it comes from, do not worship me through material objects. Okay? Um, At the very least, that's what he's saying. And so when they take a material object like bread and wine, and those objects themselves become objects of veneration, well, um, they're violating the second commandment. And you know, (laughs) what's interesting is that when you look at the list of Roman Catholic commandments, the second one isn't there. What they do is they take the tenth commandment, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, and thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods, and they break that one into two. And the ninth commandment is, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, and the tenth commandment is, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods, and the second commandment's omitted. And so they have first commandment, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Out of the house of bondage, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Second commandment, thou shalt not use the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Third commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Fourth commandment, honor thy father and thy mother. Fifth, don't murder. Sixth, don't commit adultery. Seventh, don't steal. Eighth, don't lie. Ninth, don't covet your neighbor's wife. Tenth, don't covet your neighbor's goods. That's the Roman Catholic Ten Commandments. And time you see their list, that's it, And the one against idolatry, and the worship of physical objects is gone, because what do they do? They have statues of Mary, they have uh, crucifixes of Jesus, they have statues of the saints all over the place, um, and of course they have this physical object of uh, of the wafer and the wine okay so the, uh, the, the, the the second commandment absolutely forbids the veneration of any physical object uh, as a means of worshipping god all right and then um, what they're really doing is, is, what is what Jesus speaks to in Matthew 15.9 when he says, you teach for commandments the doctrines of, of men. And, um, you know, the big question there is, why don't you wash your hands before you eat? And you're breaking the tradition of the elders. And he says, well, you guys break the law of God uh, about honoring your father and mother, and you don't financially support them in their old age and you say, all your money is dedicated to God. So you can't give any to mom and dad. And um, he says in, in, Matthew 15, 9, in vain do they worship me teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men. And so the Roman Catholic mass is an act of vain worship because what they're doing there is not according to the commandment of God. It's according to the commandment of men. And I don't care how sincere people are. I don't care how humble they are. If they worship God in a way in which he does not prescribe, their worship is vain worship and he does not accept it. I don't care how costly it is. I don't care how sincere it is. I don't care how humble it is. God alone dictates how he's to be worshipped. And that's called the regulative principle of worship. And the regulative principle of worship is God gets to regulate how he's worshipped. And the reason why we do stuff around here the way we do it is because that's how God says he wants it done. And we do our very best to look in the book and say, God, how have you said you wanted to be worshipped? How do you want us to do it? And then we do it your way because worship is for God. It isn't for you and it isn't for me. We're here to please him. And it's not like, well, you know, some other kind of worship would please me. It isn't about you. It's about God. And so God wants to be worshiped this way. That's how we do it. And so when you teach for doctrines, the commandments of men, and you do the commandments of men in an act of worship to God, God says that's vain worship. He doesn't accept it. It brings his judgment. And you remember the judgment that he brought on Nadab and Abihu when they brought a a form of worship to God, the strange fire that God hadn't prescribed. He struck them dead. And uh, we see that occurring time and time again in the old Testament. Um, And God even struck Ananias and Sapphira dead, as you recall, because they were engaging in hypocritical worship. So, anyway, um, that's paragraph four. Denial of the cup to the people, the worshiping of the elements, those things they practice and they're wrong. Okay, any questions about that? All right, well, next time we're going to get into transubstantiation. Transubstantiation which is paragraphs five and six. <clears throat> and we're going to talk about, uh, in paragraph five uh, and six, the nature of the elements of the Lord's Supper. What is this bread and this wine? What are they? Okay. Well, the Catholics say they're literally the body and blood of Christ. We say they're just symbols. Symbols of the body and blood of Christ. So paragraph five, once again, sets out the truth that the bread and the wine remain uh, both bread and wine in substance and nature, they're not changed at all. Paragraph six um, says that they, um, uh, speaks to the Roman Catholic doctrine in which they're transubstantiated And and it says in essence in paragraph six they're not transubstantiated into the body and blood of Christ. Because transubstantiation is repugnant to scripture. We're going to look at a bunch of scriptural reasons why uh, it can't be true. And then it's also repugnant to reason. We're going to look at just a bunch of objective reasons why it can't be true. Now, uh, I want to just read to you what they say. This is the Roman Catholic Bible with the Roman Catholic dictionary in the back. Um, And um, they talk about um, uh, the real presence of Christ in the wine and the bread, and here's what they say: um, the real presence refers to the presence of Christ in the blessed sacrament. The Council of Trent, which, by the way, happened in about uh, 1540s, which was a response to the Reformation, which happened in 1517 when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the Church of Wittenberg. It says the Council of Trent, explaining the traditional beliefs of the Church, teaches us. That in the sacrament of the Eucharist, the body and blood of our Lord, the body and blood of our Lord, together with his divinity, are contained truly, really, and substantially, not merely in sign, figure, or virtue. Christ is present, moreover, whole and entire, both under the appearance of bread and under the appearance of wine, and remain as long as those appearances remain. The Eucharist, therefore, is not merely a sign or symbol of Christ's presence, nor is Christ present therein merely by virtue of the effects which the sacrament produces, nor merely because apprehended by faith. Rather, by transubstantiation, Christ becomes really and physically present in the sacrament of the Eucharist." So that's what they say. His his humanity, his deity, it's all there in the elements. Well, next time we're going to take that up and start to rebut that. And uh, you'll be amazed, I promise you. Okay, any questions or comments? All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the wonderful ordinance of the Lord's Supper. But Father, like every single teaching of scripture, this one too has been perverted. Father, I pray that we would not have some superstitious view of the bread and the wine as though they're some magical objects, but that they are what they are, uh, symbols of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is the object of wonder and awe and mystery, not the elements that represent him. Father, we pray that uh, we would look beyond the elements to the one they represent and Put our faith and trust in him and affirm once again our love and loyalty to him. And by eating the symbol, declare uh, by that act that we have received Christ uh, and that we are believing in him and that we are of his body. And Father, I pray that as we partake of the Lord's Supper in the days ahead, that it might be more and more precious to us, uh, blessed by you and become an ever more powerful means of grace to strengthen us in our faith and walk with Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for his sacrifice that is symbolized in this ordinance. And Lord, we do pray that that sacrifice might become ever more the object of our meditation, our trust, and our confidence. May we proclaim it to the world around us so that they too might become saved. Thank you, Father, for um, the next hour to come. We pray your blessing on it as well. In Jesus' name, amen.